Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. The company that came out top through the scoring mechanism, we all went, hmm, blimey. They've come out top, have they? Oh, not really sure about that. That's a bit of a bugger. It is rational for them to do this from this evaluability perspective. A lot of the ways people evaluate universities are on kind of abstract attributes. How good of an education am I going to get here? Am I going to have good relationships with professors? That's very difficult to evaluate. You know, it's very easy to evaluate the presence or absence of a lazy river. No, they just need to tether each other together in kind of a convoy, and then the professor can slowly walk by with the chalkboard. This is a great idea, Colin. Ryan, Jean-Claude is a pickle. A problem. A French pickle? A French pickle. Could be a French pickle, I don't know. I presume French pickles are just the same as any other pickle. Oh, I disagree. I'm sure that they are more delicious. I don't know how. <laughs> I'm sure they are. I'm sure the way they cook them uh, is probably a lot better. You cook your pickles in England? I think I've discovered something new to be shocked about in English cuisine. No, I don't think we cook pickles. But Jean-Claude has got a problem. So let me explain the problem. For the listener that doesn't understand what pickles are, pickles are, this is a slot we do called I'm in a pickle. And basically what you do is you send us your problem. Uh, Ryan and I were going to spend the show talking about it. And we try to pick problems that we think are going to be common across the piece. Yes. And therefore there's clearly learning coming from all of this. What we're trying to do is A, help solve the problem, but B, try to apply some behavioral science, some customer experience, and just our general knowledge of business and stuff like that to, to help solve the problem. So without further ado, let me get into the problem. So John claude says, we sell complicated products and we want to get all the information over to our customers in the best way. How do we do this? Our products are better than the competition, but we're not getting our message over. We are even losing business despite the fact that we are better, which is an interesting problem, isn't it? It's very frustrating. I can relate to this because back in the day when I was in corporate life, I, I used to work in telecoms and we were sold large communication systems to mainly to the, all the largest global companies in the world. And therefore, by definition, they were complicated. Okay, mm -hmm. And trying to define how to actually go about talking to customers about it was was interesting. I think you're going to kick off, aren't you, with a with a couple of thoughts from a behavioral science perspective as to how we could look at this, and then I'm going to come in with some some business thoughts on on that. Great, yeah, this is a real good meaty problem from a behavioral science perspective. There are several behavioral science theories that I think could potentially help with this problem. The big idea is it kind of doesn't matter who is objectively better around this stuff. The only thing that matters in a business setting is who's perceived to be better. Yep. And we hope that our customers are perceiving us accurately, but in this case, it seems like they're not. So 
when we talk about like how people evaluate things, how they perceive things to be, there are a couple of, of key principles involved. One of them was defined by this guy named uh, Christopher Shee, who's a, a business professor at the University of Chicago. And he defined something that he called the evaluability hypothesis. And it's a very powerful idea. The idea is that when we're making an evaluation or making a choice, we don't always focus on what's most important. We generally focus on what's easiest for us to evaluate. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. From Jean-Claude's perspective, he's probably looking at his offerings and his competitors' offerings from an objective standpoint. Like, he's got the data in front of him. We know that we are better. But he might be looking at the most important attributes, the objectively most important. And it could be that his customers are evaluating based on the easiest to evaluate attributes. So let let me give you an example from the world of universities where I, I exist. Yeah, There are a lot of universities that spend their money on really frivolous things. In the U.S., there are a lot of, like, a really high-end like gym spaces, workout spaces at, in university campuses. They'll have very nice rec centers. Uh, a lot of them are improving their dormitories. There's a, a booming market in the lazy rivers on college campuses. Very slow-moving channel pools that you can just kind of float around in. Is this how they get from one one lecture to another <laughs> by the lazy river? No, Colin, but that is the best idea you've ever had. It that, is. That is brilliant. They should. I can it. imagine the lecturer walking along by the lazy river with a slide pack, <laughs> <laughs> with, with a rolling chalkboard. Yeah, so they can and, keep and up. You know, they're students. in these sort of tubes. Yeah, you can make, see the student sort of craning their neck, going, "Hold on, I'm turning around. I'll be there in a minute." So, no, they just need to tether each other together in kind of a convoy, <laughs> and then the professor can slowly walk by with the chalkboard. This is a great idea, Colin. <laughs> No, the, the lazy rivers are not <laughs> integrated into the classrooms, unfortunately. But like Texas Tech University has one. LSU has one in the shape of the letters LSU. The Ohio State University has a 250-person hot tub in their rec center. Wow. Which sounds like a disease soup to me, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not 20 years old and single. So You imagine what happens in those in Freshers Week and stuff like that, guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What, what what percentage of that hot tub is water versus alcohol by the end of the week? I don't know. I don't want to know. The point is these these universities are spending this money in non-academic ways, and it, it makes a lot of people angry, and I think justifiably so. But it is rational for them to do this from this evaluability perspective. A lot of the ways people evaluate universities are on kind of abstract attributes, like, you know, how good of an education am I going to get here? Am I going to form a good social network? Am I going to make friends? Am I going to have good relationships with professors? That's very difficult to evaluate. You know, it's very easy to evaluate the presence or absence of a lazy river. So if you've gotten into LSU and another comparable university and LSU has a lazy river and this other university doesn't, stupid as it is, that becomes a reason for you to choose them. So my advice to Jean-Claude, make sure that you are not just better on the objectively important stuff. You also need to be better on the things that are easy to evaluate. Or alternatively, you need to find ways to make the important stuff easier for your customers to evaluate so that they will value it more. Yeah, good point. So let me ask you a question. You made me think about something I was talking to Lorraine, my wife, earlier today about which was travel insurance, okay? Yeah. And we were looking up 
some travel insurance and and travel insurance is complicated how much cover you get what how much repatriation and blah 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 complicated stuff we went on to in the uk there's a a thing called witch magazine okay which are quite sort of renowned for independent advice on numbers of different products you know whether it's vacuum cleaners or whatever else. Is this magazine published by witches? Like, are they using arcane <laughs> knowledge to evaluate vacuum cleaners? Listen, we did a we did an episode the other week about fairies. We're now not onto witches, are we? I'm going to turn this into a your... supernatural podcast. Um, <laughs> I don't care how hard you fight it. Sorry, go ahead. So, what is what is happening in your brain? Have you been watching too many <laughs> fantasy things, or what? I can't hear an English accent without going immediately <laughs> to Harry Potter and Tolkien. It's not my fault. So let me get back to which <laughs> magazine. Good luck. Which is about choosing the different products that are out there. Oh, so that makes sense too. Okay. They did this list of, say, I don't know, 120 different travel insurance you could get. I'm looking at all this list. What made me think is what they did was, they looked across five different criteria, but they gave each of these travel insurance by company a score. So that suddenly was the only thing I was looking at. Yep. Yeah. Because I trust which to make a good choice. Yeah. It was, well, this one's 72 out of 100 and that one's 85. So it's pretty obvious I should go with the 85. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, because that, is so I'm I'm I guess what I'm doing is proving the theory, aren't I? Yeah, no. I, the valuability hypothesis also explains why customer reviews are so important because a lot of stuff we evaluate is very complicated and varies on a lot of dimensions, and it's hard for us to figure out what to do with it. But we see that one score, that score out of five stars, that other customers have rated it, and that is very easy for us to evaluate. We know exactly what to do with that. And so it has yeah. this outsized importance for us when we are making our evaluations. So, John claude what is easy for your customers to evaluate? Are you better on those attributes as well? And let me give you one other example that hopefully make this live for people. Everyone will know that I, I live half my life in Sarasota in Florida. In Sarasota in Florida, there's lots of thunderstorms and therefore the power goes out. Mm -hmm. And therefore I decided to buy an uninterruptible power supply. I went on to Amazon and I was looking at all these uninterruptible power supplies. Now, I don't know about you, mate, but I know bugger all about uninterruptible power supplies. Yeah? Yes. And I'm looking down all this. This has got that. This has got this. This has got so Milli many ampers and, and, and uh, voltages. This. And I'm yeah. thinking, I haven't got a bloody clue what all of these different ones are together. The thing that I ended up buying was based upon something really simple was when the power goes out, how long would it last? <laughs> yeah. Because that's the only thing I could effectively understand. Yeah. Yeah, this one will last 12 minutes, that one will last 20 minutes, that one will last 40 minutes. And obviously, there's, then the, you're paying a different price. But that, again, is a good example, isn't it? It's a great example, yeah, because a lot of these, the electric output stats are, I assume, pretty important, right? So that'll determine how much you can plug into it, how much, essentially how much it can support, how long it takes to charge up, all those kind of things. But yeah, I mean, how many of us understand the basics of electricity, even though we use it every day? It's very complicated. You know, it's very easy to understand. 
how long this thing will stay up still providing battery backup to my devices. And so I, I assume that me- most customers do what you did, which is they overemphasize that one easy to evaluate attribute and under evaluate or underappreciate everything else because it's much harder to deal with. But here's what happens in my experience. Okay, my experience of being in corporate life for 20 years and 20 years doing beyond philosophy stuff. People in the organization think that the specifications of their products are really, really important, okay? And they don't understand really, so to your point, and I totally agree with it, which is what are the things that are important to the customer? Well, two or three things to be said there for me. One is different customers will have different things. So I made the decision on the uninterruptible power supply based upon time. My son-in-law, he loves electrical components and all that type of stuff. He, he geeks out on it. If I showed him that list of all those different specifications, he wouldn't have just made a decision based upon time. Yeah, He would have been made, made a decision based upon some other technical aspect. So the key issue becomes by customer segment, Yes, what is the most important thing? And again, and we harp on about this, but it's really important. What customers tell you is the most important thing and what actually is the most important thing to a customer can be different. We wanted to thank everybody for listening. You are great and the reason we do this. We're really pleased that we now have over 200 episodes. We've seen the podcast grow and grow, and now, according to Buzzsprout, it is in the top 5% of all podcasts globally. Thank you. That is truly amazing and not possible without you. But we have one request of you. Can you please tell a friend, a neighbor, or even someone you hate? It would be really good to get more listeners, and it encourages Ryan and I to continue to produce the show. So please, just tell a friend. Let me give you a couple of examples of this, if I may. One example I thought about as we were, when this Jean-Claude sent in this pickle, was we did some work with a healthcare equipment supplier. Yeah, We were basically looking at decision makers, project managers, and users. So you can imagine this new healthcare system was being installed in a hospital And there was a decision maker who said, yeah, we're going to buy that one. There was then project managers who had to implement all the software and all the hardware and everything else. And you can imagine in in some of these hospitals, it's really large and important. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the users. Okay. Now, what we discovered, guess what? The thing that was important to the decision maker, the thing that it was important to the project manager, the thing that was important to the users was different. Yeah. 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 And their motivations were different. And therefore, if you're trying to sell a complicated product, for me, one of the things you've got to absolutely do is define really what drives value and not just, again, what customers say. You have to look under the hood of those things. And you're aware we do a piece of research, which we call an emotional signature, that looks at the difference between what customers say is, it says is important and what actually is important. 
because those are the things that you should be Jean-Claude promoting rather than than other things. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And you hinted at this earlier too, but we as employees are biased in a number of ways. One of them is what's called the curse of knowledge, which is that once you know something, it's really hard for you to fake ignorance about that. It's hard for you to put yourself in the position of somebody who doesn't know it. And so all of us who work in some industry, we rapidly become experts in that industry. We know what's important and we we know how to evaluate all these attributes. And so it's very natural for us to assume that our customers also care about that stuff and also understand it very well. And that is just not always the case. Yes. And ironically, it can come down to emotional things. Yes. Okay, so let me let me tell you another story. And this is from my days at working in telecom. I was in charge of, you know, I was in charge of these sort of three and a half thousand people and mainly in contact centers. And one of the projects that I initiated was to buy a CRM system, yeah, customer relationship management system to start to store customers' information on. Because in telecoms, you have loads of different products and each product line had their own system, but nobody was looking at the customer holistically. So mm-hmm. we were buying this big computer system and I'm literally talking millions of dollars yeah. to buy this system. Okay. We were going through an extremely left brain process. We got people involved from across the business. We got legal involved. We got procurement involved. We got IT involved, obviously. We got different tenders that went out, RFPs, you know, all professionally written documents. We asked the suppliers to come in and present. We set up a decision matrix. How are we going to make this decision on different people? We had a panel of like 15 people of which I was the chair and we got five companies to come in and present what they did, right? Uh, and then afterwards, every individual wrote down what they thought against the matrix and scored what it was independently. And then we had a big discussion and we added up the numbers and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. The interesting bit was when we were going through that process, the company that came out top through the scoring mechanism, we all went, hmm, blimey. They've come out top, have they? Oh, not really sure about that. That's a bit of a bugger. Because my guts and a number of other people's guts told us they weren't the right people. And why were they not the right people? Well, because one of the other companies had brought in all the people that were going to be involved in the implementation of the product, in of this service. And this was like a two-year implementation cycle or something stupid. And they brought in all the people that were going to be involved in that. And the company that won the score or got the highest score didn't. And they effectively, it was done by one person pitching of what they were going to do. And we ended up reversing the decision. And why did we do that? Because we didn't trust and we didn't measure that as one of the key criteria. We didn't trust that the organization that had won, that would have won the, or got the highest score and therefore would win the business, were actually able to implement it. We knew that the organization that came second could. So we actually ended up throwing that decision-making mechanism away and basing it upon more of a gut emotional things. So, Jean-Claude, in your example, 
selling a complicated product, you've got to be able to trust that you've got the backup to that product, that you've got the people that know what they're talking about. And those are the things that can be really important to decision makers. Because to be totally honest with you, if I screwed up making that decision, I wouldn't have a job yeah. because it was it was my choice and I was the one that was the chair of it and everything else. It really comes down to that emotional thing. Does that make sense? Some attributes of a product or experience are going to be very easy to define and measure. Some are going to be very difficult to, but that doesn't make the difficult ones necessarily unimportant, right? So we all know that the soft skills interactions with companies can be massively important in terms of whether a project's going to be successful or not. It's going to be really hard to assess that beforehand. A lot of times you just kind of get an intuitive feel for it. So I, I think that that is another way of thinking about this evaluability thing. Like, you know, you could be winning on all the objective things, but your sales process itself is kind of sending some subtle negative signals. And so the problem is not actually with product that you're selling. The problem is with the people in the process. Absolutely. And that, for me, starts to get over some of the things, again, Jean-Claude's referring to in here, which is we're not getting this message over. Yeah? Yeah. It comes into framing, doesn't it? Which is framing of the message. Do you want to explain framing? Sure. So this is another potential behavioral science explanation for a problem that they could be having. There's information, and then there's the way the information is communicated and received. So even communicating objectively the same thing can result in different reactions from people. So let me give you an example. If you were to talk about a surgery that you needed to be considering and the doctor were to explain it to you as having a 90% survival rate for the surgery or a 10% mortality rate, that's the same information. But if I tell you it has a 90% survival rate, you're probably going to think about it in a much more optimistic way yeah. than if I tell you it has a 10% mortality rate. And that's called framing. The way that we frame information can emphasize different aspects of it or can cause people to react to it in a different way. So the idea is that if your product is objectively better and it's still failing in the marketplace, it may be a communications issue. Maybe you are framing the information that you're communicating to your customers in a way that is not doing you any favors. That's not emphasizing what is best about your offering. That's really good. And I definitely think that there's there would definitely be an issue of framing here. But I, I think for me, taking that principle, the steps for me, Jean-Claude, would be you need to understand what actually is most important to your customers and you need to go again under the skin of that so in my example with buying the crm system it was actually about trust actually when i think back to it now all the companies we interviewed could actually implement that system yeah, yeah. but the key driver for me was did i trust them and therefore if I'm now starting to put this out, so I've now defined as a decision maker that trust is the key, the, the key driver. How are you going to frame that then? Yeah. So to Ryan's point, how do you make that? How do you get over the trust aspect to me? And that can be through the brand and through um, even just people's actions and different things like that. 
again, for that type of decision about a CRM system, well, I'm the decision maker, sat around the table with us at that time, were project managers. And in fact, I think we even had a user. But they may be making decisions based upon other things. So you need to understand the key things that they are going to make the decision on. And then once you've understood that, you need to be able to frame that message to them. So to your point, we're not getting the message over. Well, it could be the way that the message is, go back to framing, the message is structured. That's right. Think about the way it's structured. It may be the what you're messaging, and that's one issue. The second part is the how you're messaging it. And the third part then is to whom are you messaging it? And I'm sure sort of timeliness and different things like that um, come in there. The only other thing I wanted to add, Ryan, and then I'll come back to you, mate, is a good way of selling complicated products is just using the customer language, testimonials. You know, now we're getting into really tactical stuff. Other customers going, look, this is how we've used it. This is why I'm, I'm using it against those things that are driving value. Simple videos. I'm on YouTube all the time trying to work out how to fix something or do something, whatever it may be. Simple videos are are really good. Case studies are really good. Starting off with what's driving value and not just doing your normal research, doing something like what we call our emotional signature, getting under the skin of it. It starts off with that. Any other thoughts from you, mate? Yeah, the last one I'll leave you with is, it's actually kind of similar to your last bit of advice. So there's a whole field of choice architecture, which is the idea that you can set up a choice setting for people that can make things easier or more difficult, or that can emphasize different pieces of information. So the the example that I like to use when talking about uh, choice architecture done right, have you seen these Coca-Cola freestyle machines? So these are the, the yeah. soda fountains where there's a touch yeah. screen and you can choose any number of dozens of sodas. They have them in movie theaters and restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. So the choices on, on that, particularly since you can combine sodas, are in the millions. You can customize the drink option that you have for millions of different options. But the way that the choice interface is set up, the choice architecture that they've created there, dramatically simplifies making that choice. So the first screen that you face only has four options on it. I forget what they are, but one is like sodas, one is diet, one is fruit flavored, and then there's a fourth one. And then when you choose one of those, then it presents you with another set of options that's relatively limited. This decision tree structure that they've created, it only takes two or three pushes of a button to get right to the soda that you want. And then if you want to combine soda flavors, you can back out and hit another couple of buttons and you're you're down to the soda you want. So they've turned millions of options into just a few pushes of buttons. And they're very, very intuitive and easy to use. If you've got a complicated sales process, if you've got an option that is difficult for people to understand, can you impose a choice architecture structure on that sales process that makes it much easier for people? Like sometimes people are overwhelmed by making choices when they have a lot of options because they don't have strong opinions going in. And that means that when they're evaluating things, they're also learning a lot and that can be very overwhelming. So would it help to educate your customers a little bit before they actually start making evaluations and decisions? walk them through. So what is kind of relatively more important to you? Some laptop websites do this. Dell, I think, has an option to do this where they ask you, you know, what, what's important to you in a laptop? Are you mostly going to use it for gaming or mostly for work or mostly for fun? 
And so you ask, answer a couple of simple questions, and then they kind of curate that assortment for you. So are there ways sure. that you can make the decision process easier that emphasizes or gives you the advantage of having the best option because you've now made it easier for your customers to identify that you have the best option? Yeah, no, that, that's really good. I, I like that. And that helps it narrow it down as well, rather than just thinking, bloody others, I don't even know where to start here. Basically. Yeah. People underestimate how easy it is to intimidate customers. Again, some of this is yeah. that curse of knowledge. Like, we understand this stuff so well. How could anybody possibly not be able to evaluate this product? And that the reality is that people have a lot going on in their lives. Yes. There may be very good reasons why they're intimidated by the thing that you're offering. So make it easy. Point them in the right direction. Good. Okay, so I hope that's been of use, uh, Jean-Claude. That's another pickle. So we encourage people to, to write in with pickles and also with any questions about witches, warlocks, fairies. <laughs> I'm really I'm really trying to steer us in a new direction with this podcast. I can see now. I, I can see somebody from Salem now writing in to us. <laughs> I will take it, please. <laughs> Good. Okay, everyone, thanks very much for listening and send us your pickles and we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton, but it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.